rescue op, save the dinosaurs from an island that's about to explode. What could go wrong? Discuss minute 26 of Fallen Kingdom. Before we get to that, heading over to Jurassic-pedia.com. We've got an article up here by Trinosaur TJ um, for September 2018. 2018, I don't know why I said 2018. <laughs> uh, on Ken Wheatley. Um, our air quotes, big bad. One of our big bads for the uh, the film itself. Uh, we've seen him briefly at the end of last minute, but here we're going to have a bit of a conversation. Uh, we're going to get a lot of that accent, whatever he's doing. <laughs> and, um, he's... <laughs> uh, we'll get there. <laughs> so a little bit of backstory on, uh, on Ken, obviously short for Kenneth speaking American. So we assume he's American. A lot of the, uh, backstory sort of going off Ted Levine as the actor, um, and pretty much a play-by-play of what we get uh, in this movie with his involvement, uh, rescuing, rescuing, saving, poaching, poaching <laughs> animals <laughs> off uh, off Nublar. But uh, briefly, we'll head over to IMDb too while we're talking. Uh, the man himself, Ted Levine, sort of character actor, we've known for a lot of a uh, lot of bad guys, um, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, I had to think about. Fast and the Furious, then remember, yeah, he's one of the uh, the detectives or coppers at the start of it. I um, did not remember that, actually, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, uh, General McGrath from Wild Wild West, he just eats up the scenery. <laughs> a lot of the films he does, he's just, he has fun, a lot of fun doing what he does, so. In um. uh, Silence of the Lambs, it seemed a bit more than fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, um put the bunny back in the box in that, isn't he? What? No, Is he's he... uh, Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill, that's... He yeah, likes to I'm... tuck it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. Mm. It's been so long since I've seen that, I don't even know if I want to see it anymore. <laughs> it's one of those one of those sort of older films that I did enjoy once, and I don't know if it would hold up or anything <laughs> these days. So. Especially when there's been sequels and prequels and everything else for it as well. The sequel series that ran was pretty good, I gotta say. Yeah, okay. I remember that coming up. But anyway, that's not Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, again, there's a uh, link in the run sheet with the gap with the uh, the podcast for the Ted Levine IMDb page. And uh, head over to jurassic-pedia.com for the full write-up on Kent Wheatley. Blue is alive. Jesus, Claire. You raised her, Owen. You... You spent years of your life working with her. You're just going to let her die? Well, yeah. Dave, ready to get into minute 26. Yeah. All right, minute 26. So Fallen Kingdom opens with a shot of base camp and ends with the team about to move out. As we continue from minute 25, the plane's landed in a very small dirt uh, airfield, possibly just a dirt road. We don't really know, but the novel did say before that it was an airfield, so... Um, this uh, this airfield, this sort of base camp area is whatever whatever its original purpose was. Uh, obviously, supplies come in by the air to do something on Nublar anyway. 
the side door of the plane is open and we get about 20 seconds of uh, Claire's boot stepping down on the step uh, just rubbing it into the fanboys there's no heels in this movie (laughs) (laughs) or the trolls I should say I won't say fanboys because that was such a big point of contention for the last film Uh, we talked about it I had no issue with heels but uh, here boots and sort of a uh, bit of a Sarah Harding vibe here in the outfit as well so those greens and car keys as well Uh, but she's called over by Ken Wheatley uh, the facilitator of the operation on New Blah will come to learn there's his usual usual inductions Claire comments on the size of the operation and Wheatley responds uh, with Mr Lockwood takes his humanitarian efforts very seriously which may be a red flag straight up because aren't humanitarian efforts aimed at humans not saving extinct animals these days people use the word humanitarian in like such a loose way it's more like kind of just another word for I suppose uh, doing good like yeah just like being compassionate mm-hmm. you know yeah having a having a heart basically <laughs> show some humanity yeah okay um, and then we we get the line uh, as Wheatley asks where's the raptor wrangler <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's just trying to do some sort of southern uh, so like a slow accent or what because there's some or well, it does sort of stick throughout the film doesn't it this uh Mm-hmm. Weird well, the way. character almost kind of has like the southern drawl kind of thing, but he doesn't. Like it goes in and out, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Uh, Owen corrects him, uh, animal behaviorist. Uh, the two shake hands, and uh, Owen sort of gives him a look up and down. Says, "What are you, the great white hunter?" Uh, he can see who Wheatley <laughs> is, and he, uh, which is weird because he used to have a dozen men that dressed just like this, hanging around on top of the raptor enclosure, <laughs> the raptor pen we've seen in. Jurassic World, sort of the great white hunters sitting there watching the raptors, but we should make it perfectly clear this is no Roland Tembo. <laughs> no. It's completely different. Um, obviously, Tembo being one of the last great philosopher hunters, Wheatley, he's just money, 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 money. Wheatley feels like he does everything, like anything uh, Roland Tembo would have done, Wheatley does the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then Franklin breaks up the tense moment with some humour, uh, yelling that it's hot and taking off his jacket, which I don't know why he's wearing a jacket. Maybe it was a bit colder on the plane, but you go to the tropics, dude. What are, what are you dressed <laughs> like that for? <laughs> I always have to wonder why people go to the tropics dressed like they do. Like, I was watching... Uh, the original Tim Curry version of It the other week. <laughs> and they're like, it was a sweltering hot summer. And then the characters are wearing like heavy leather jackets and full wool, wool coats. I'm like, can't be that hot. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see people do that in, I guess it's like the rule of cool thing. Like in, um, like in the novel, Alan Grant wore a Hawaiian shirt and shorts with sneakers. <laughs> and in the movie, he's, we- he's wearing a long sleeve button up shirt with a lo- with long pants and heavy boots. Mm-hmm. It's like, did he, he, we did realize he was going to the tropics, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I know he probably didn't pack a, a, a Hawaiian shirt 
for the dig, but at the same time, I'm sure he's got a pair of shorts in his suitcase somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even if he has to go, even if he, even if he has to ask Hammond to pay for some change at the uh, laundry mat. <laughs> well, we don't know if Grant ever got out of Montana before and knew what the tropics even were. Like we know, in the film, Gennaro is wearing the collared shirt and the the pant, the, the shorts as well. Um, whether or not he's been to Nublar before that. Um, that meeting, that trip, we don't really know. I don't think, but business on the top, party in the ba- in the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then there's then there's just Malcolm like going to the tropics in black leather. I, I do not, I don't care if it's the only outfit you've got. <laughs> You're buying something different before you get there. <laughs> Funny enough, I think he dressed like that in the novel too. Because mm-hmm. I remember. I remember Ellie talking to him about his wardrobe, and it wasn't just the color. It was, like, the whole out-of-season it was to be wearing. And he's like, I can't remember what his explanation was for it, but it was, like, kind of, it didn't sound logical. No, it's something along the lines of, um, although I might be confusing this with some other movie, but um, if you've got the same clothes to put on every day, then... There's less effort to look. Yeah, there, there, to look. well, I remember there was the explanation for the colors. I can't yeah. remember if he explained why he's wearing long pants and a, you know, a, a button-down full uh, full sleeve shirt. Mm. But yeah, Ellie seemed to be the only person in Jurassic Park who seemed dressed for the weather, <laughs> except maybe um, except maybe uh, Nedry. But I mean, he does have to pre- dress professionally, mm. you know. Yeah. If, even if you are planning on screwing over your boss, at least do it in style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the loose-fitting sort of white trousers and long uh, shirt that Hammond was wearing was sort of tropical as well. Obviously, he's exactly, spent yeah. a lot of time on the island, so he knows exactly how, how hot it gets there. And then there's um, The Lost World, where it's like the same thing. Roland is the only one dressed appropriately for the weather. Everybody else is wearing like flannel and jeans and long pants, and I'm like... You do realize this is the tropics, right? I mean, I know they filmed the movie in late summer in Northern California, but it's supposed to be set in the tropics. Mm-hmm. Like they can go get a they can go get a blanket on after the you, you yell cut. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's some some of the mercenaries or oh, I think some of the hunters are even got the Ingen jumpsuits on, like the coveralls as well. I believe in the it. Lost World, but but then Hammond, uh, Hammond, then Grant. I suppose he's only supposed to be on the plane and not on the ground for Jurassic Park Three. But he's yeah. back again with trousers and a flannel shirt that he rolls the sleeves up. <laughs> not, not just a flannel shirt. He wears a he wear he's wearing a uh, duck line Carhartt jacket. <laughs> like you know how warm those are. Those are like for that's like a winter coat. Why is he even having that? Why does he even? <laughs> I mean, I know it gets kind of cold in the desert, and even in the summer, but come on. Mm. Yeah, we'll, we'll give that to him because, of, of course, he wasn't <laughs> expecting to leave the plane there. But um, it may have been a anyway, cold. Anyway, we were talking about uh, Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, where are we? Oh, yes. Owen looks at uh, Franklin and then out past the perimeter fence to the smoking volcano and says it's about to get a lot hotter. Um Obviously, with that eruption imminent, um, here we get a good look at the top of that fence too. Definitely Jurassic World era. 
uh, not Jurassic Park, and the, the sort of role of barbed wire at the top of it as well. We get the score start to build as the inner gates open and the armoured vehicles roll into position. Uh, one of my favourite tracks from the soundtrack. Uh, it sort of gets us amped up. We're heading out, we're going to look for blue. Uh, we're going to go see the old park. We're going here more old park, of Jurassic World infrastructure. Um, this big sort of caged inner outer door system. Um, bit bigger scale is what we got in Jurassic Park with the perimeter fence inner and outer gates, uh, the helicopter compound and that. Uh, I'm, there's this, we can see in one shot here a scissor lift with uh, a cage spotter at the top. Um, I'm guessing that's something new, something that's been brought in um, by the team and the equipment. And it's sort mm -hmm. of, because uh, all the other uh, metalwork and that's sort of rusted up and aged where the scissor lift doesn't mm -hmm. really look that old. And it, I think it's a little bit of a callback to The Lost World where we had the, uh, the concept art of the Umog with the raised cage and the scissor lift on the back of it. Unsure if that uh, was ever built and um, built into the Umogs on screen, but there was that concept art of the elevated platform on the back of the trucks. Mm -hmm. I do just got to say that this, when they open the gate here and you can see the light wafting through the fog and the mist, it's very visually reminiscent of when Joffrey opened the raptor gate in the beginning of the first movie. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of. Um a great little light way to use the light there on those cage doors mm -hmm. um, even though we're in the middle of the day <laughs> but as uh, the minute ends uh, the armoured vehicles stop uh, in the gate cage uh, while the rear gate begins to close so they're definitely taking security here very seriously mm -hmm. they don't want any animals I gotta honestly say part of me kind of feels like this gate here almost feels very first park Reminiscent, you know, like this was infrastructure that was originally built for the first park and not for Jurassic World. True, but it's too similar to what we get with the Raptor enclosure just being solid, like complete steel. Whereas mm. the original park, a lot of it was electricity and wires. Um, True. It also makes me wonder, too, sort of taking Camp Cretaceous out of the uh, franchise for a moment. As, as far as I know from the end of. Jurassic World we've got one raptor we've got a Tyrannosaur we've maybe got a couple of Baryonyx running around but I'm, I can't recall what other carnivores were made known in Jurassic World that they'd be sort of keeping an eye out for trying to stay safe from obviously the T-Rex is the big one they don't want that walking into base camp not to mention that we know that they haven't even captured her yet Mm. So she's definitely still out there. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, but that's it for uh, for the minute itself. Heading over to novel comparisons, we get a lot more uh, in the novel for these scenes. Uh, as Claire steps out of the plane, Wheatley introduces himself before she can get a word in and adds, "Welcome to but welcome back to Jurassic World." Um, Wheatley also. <laughs> I'm glad that line wasn't in there. Yeah, it would have been a bit cheesy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, he also does have a, have a bit of dialogue with both Zia and Franklin as they get out of the plane too, asking Zia if she went to some kind of school for being a paleo veterinarian. She just replies, I did in a flat voice, obviously annoyed by the question. She probably gets it a lot. <laughs> um, and calls Franklin the computer guy. He corrects him, systems architect. Uh, computer guy kind of makes it sound like I work at a store where they also sell refrigerators. <laughs> <laughs> so... I was thinking, like, the guy who stands behind the corner at Best Buy, or stands behind the counter at Best Buy, 
And when you take him to get your computer fixed, he just tells you to buy a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> says that right. Uh, so those two um, bit of character interactions are done as they're getting out of the plane, and then we get to the uh, where's the Raptor Wrangler. Uh, uh, it's Zia that tells Franklin it's about to get a whole lot hotter here, looking up at the volcano, not Owen. Uh, Owen looked at the volcano with concern. Uh, Hammond didn't think the volcano might be a problem when he built this place. Uh, Claire responds, it's been dominant for a thousand years. Uh, experts swore it was extinct, and Wheatley sneers at the word ex- experts. And uh, as at this, Claire and Owen look at each other. There's something about this guy that made them both uneasy. Uh, interesting there, the, the drop line about Hammond. I remember when the whole volcano plotline was revealed or made known going into Fallen Kingdom, there was a lot of uh, sort of movie critics, some movie podcasts and that, like, uh, not condemning, but asking the question, did they really build Jurassic Park on an island with a volcano? <laughs> Why is this <laughs> happening now? Um, we get that little bit of dialogue here that um, the experts said it was supposed to be extinct. So, Well, they did build an entire United States on um, a volcano. Yeah, yep, <laughs> yep. Oh, I, that was, yeah, I remember that was going around a lot of the time too there. Um, there's still people that live near Yosemite and all sort of places like that as well. Plus all the uh, the stuff in Greece and all that, the volcanoes there, so. Mm-hmm. Humans love picturesque locations, and if there's a little bit of danger there, then they're still going to build it. There's almost a full chapter uh, just here at base camp, but uh, before the vehicles roll out, I'm not going to go into all, but Claire spots a medical tent with uh, injured men inside. She asks Wheatley what happened to them, and he replies, uh, this island happened to them. I've lost five men already, and then looks at Owen and says, you can thank your raptor for two of them. So, again, evidence that these guys have been here for a lot longer than what it appears. He's already lost five guys and has injured people here <laughs> from uh, from the island. Um, I don't think that sort of points at incompetence by his men. They're obviously getting the job done. We're going to see later. Um, they've got a lot of animals onto the Arcadia. So, although they just can't deal with the pressure of having blue, <laughs> look at them. <laughs> but we'll get there. Uh, Owen asks Wheatley how long until the volcano blows. Wheatley responds that our volcanologist says any minute now. Uh, the tremors are getting more frequent. Franklin complains, uh, cutting a little bit close, aren't we? And Wheatley replies... A hundred men in a cargo ship don't come easy. I want to see a pile of money disappear, try moving animals against their will. So there's probably a reason all this was cut uh, from the final shoot, just to uh, keep the thing moving, but it sort of does give some explanations about what's going on. Um, Because then we move inside the command tent, uh, everyone looking at a map similar to the one that Mills had. Uh, Claire tells them the radio bunker is the only way, or the only place to activate the tracking system. Franklin asks, how will we get in there? Uh, there's tunnels, right? Big theme parks like this all have underground tunnels. Claire confirms there are tunnels, but none of them would get from there to the bunker, so they'll have to drive. So, again, a little bit more backstory here. We'll fill in information why why we're driving to the bunker. Uh, unfortunately, not why we're not going to the uh, control room. Um, that radio bunker is where the tracking systems are housed. Uh, with a finger, Claire traces a line across the map. We'll go down Main Street and through Drysphere Valley. So a bit of explanation there why we see what we're going to see next minute. Uh, then Franklin hands out some modified tablets with an antenna. Uh, he uploaded the old park systems onto it. So once the tracking 
systems activated, they'll be able to track the animals on the tablets, which I think we do see later on when they're looking for blue. Uh, Owen's got one. Um, and then there's some talk about how they're going to catch blue. Wheatley wanting to go in and just shoot her, and uh, Owen's sort of saying, well, no, we need to convince her or coax her out, because if she goes in hiding, we'll never find her. But um, that's when the vehicles arrive, and uh, we move into the next minute, so fair bit extra stuff there for the novel um, again some little stuff that would have just padded out the movie and given us a little bit more time and on New Blood but we don't get it but uh, Dave that's minute 26 anything else to discuss on that before we get heavy for the week no I think we're good alright lovely mm-hmm. 